Well, welcome to another episode of Victoria's Friday. And today I can tell you I'm very excited because I'm reuniting with a good friend here. His name is Jared Cagle. Uh, Jared comes with a lot of titles, but I'll just call him for today an associate pastor. Uh, we'll just be having a, a conversation almost in our living room. And we're going to talk about a few topics today. But they're all around the family. Jared, welcome to Victoria's Friday. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. It's always a pleasure and honor to be with you, my friend. Absolutely. Jared, here's why I wanted to start. Uh, today, as we live in a society that is much different than the one I grew up, but yet, uh, we have to begin to prepare our children for the next decade and the next society. And our impact at Victoria's family is how do we have impact for the next 25 years? We call it one generation. Mm. Well, you're a generation that's very important to us. We're trying to reach that millennial generation. And so I want to talk to you and, and just have a general conversation. But first, I just want to start your childhood. What was it yeah. like growing up? Tell us, maybe do a little intro of yourself. Sure. Talk to me about uh, your childhood, where you grew up, your family, and, and just where was, was kind of Christianity in your life in the early uh, yeah. upcoming years? Absolutely. Uh, Christianity was a huge part of my upbringing. Both of my parents raised me in church. I have two younger brothers, uh, three years between each of us, and so we were relatively close in age and grew up in the church house uh, as many times as it was open, Wednesday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, Sunday morning, all the times when it was open. And I grew up uh, in a cons very conservative Southern Baptist context. Um, the church to me was a lot about do's and don'ts and living a certain way, um, which I later found out was not the was was very different than the Christianity uh, um, that that I should have been taught but nonetheless that's the environment that I was brought up in and in in my young in my early years it was very much about measuring up or meeting a certain standard uh, my family because of my dad's position and his his jobs growing up for me he was in the public eye a lot and so um, that attributed to the way that I saw the world and the way I saw church and Christianity as well because it was again about making sure you don't do too many wrong things and making sure you measure up to a certain standard um, it was always about you know making sure that people thought well of you or you appeared to have everything together so I grew up with a lot of pressure uh, we were a competitive house as well we love sports grew up competing with my brothers and uh, had you know grew up actually here in Georgia uh, Gainesville Georgia and rarely left so uh, a lot of ties a lot of close-knit community here and um, the church was very important to us and I had a I had a very flawed view of what Christianity was until I would say I was about 18 or 19 years old um, when I had a significant turnaround. You know, you mentioned a couple of things, and, and um, many of us grew up in, a, in that environment where performance was important. Our do-do's, just the way you mentioned it, mm -hmm. was important. Um, and we were trying to live, a, live out this life of faith, but yet, as you know, we can do nothing to earn it. We, it's, right. it's something that this sovereign God that we have, right. we have to just remember what he's done. He sent right. his son and 
that son died on the cross for us. And, you know, I didn't learn that. I mean, I, I understood that. But I understood grace as probably you did as well. Yeah. But it was always that James, you know, 1-5, you know, how do we measure up? Mm-hmm. How do we kind of be a good Christian mm-hmm. and walk this line? So thank you for sharing. You mentioned also sports, I mean, and your brother competing. What, what sports you guys used to play? Yeah, we played them all, basketball, football. Football didn't last very long. Uh, I was a quarterback and didn't like to get hit, so that didn't work. Offensive line wasn't very yeah. good, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but golf actually became a sport that I was decent enough at and ended up going to college to play on scholarship. And so did um, my middle brother. He got a scholarship to play golf as well. And then my youngest brother uh, played basketball in college. Um, so he, he had a little more fun, you know, there's a little more, there's a little more money thrown at those big sports, you yeah. know, cause if people come into the stadium for those, so you trying to be all <laughs> humble, you know, a little bit of golf. And I yeah. mean, my understanding is you were probably one of the top golfers in, in, in the community here. I mean, yeah. Small community, <laughs> small town, small town. All right, so we just a fun. couple of golfers out there, <laughs> but I, I know you set standards and records. You want to be humble and everything. We'll get that at the next show where you can, <laughs> you can brag a little bit. Yeah. So, so walk me through, I mean, high school as you were growing up mm-hmm. and, and walk me through maybe as a, a young adult. Mm-hmm. We, uh, for me, honestly, sports was a big part of, of my journey. And I thought that that was going to be my life. I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wanted to, to run down that path. Uh, that became very much my identity. Um, I was chasing after success in that way and spending hours upon hours uh, perfecting my craft, which is a good thing, um, but it was it was certainly becoming the only thing. Um, then that started getting a little bit um, complicated when I met the girl of my dreams, and then all of a sudden now the only thing was being uh, taken, and <laughs> it was at war with who wanted to be the only thing, and so I had to deal with that a little bit, and Anyway, when I got done with school and um, it became very clear that I wasn't going to make a living playing golf professionally, I started looking for, for some real jobs, for some real work, and decided to choose and prioritize family rather than a career that I was chasing. That was a difficult decision for me, um, but it was the right one. And after, after that journey and, and season of my life when um, we were – we were engaged to be married and I was working uh, for a leadership organization uh, outside of Atlanta and everything was going, was going good. And, and, you know, I eventually became um, surrendered to this call to be a pastor and, and to be in full-time ministry. My, my journey, I, I like to say was all about myself, all about excellence, all about pursuing success and then slowly God began to peel away these layers, um, these selfish layers that I had formed and I had, I had disguised my selfishness with the pursuit of success or excellence. And he slowly began to humble me and tear these layers back and um, bring me to a place where I was surrendered to his call in my life to be a pastor, to lead people in the church, to build the next generation of leaders in the church and um, really pursue that. So uh, Kaylin, my wife and I got married in 2014. We've been married for going on, going on seven years now. Um, three kids now, 
five years old, three years old, and, and one and a half. So we're just getting wow. started. That's, that's some good ages right there to challenge We're just you. getting started. I want to go back just a little to the kind of dating, engagement mm -hmm. time frame, and wondering that you and Caitlin have some discussions and conversation around uh, the spiritual formation of your children and, and how you would pursue that. Uh, can you recall any of those type of conversations and where you got, were you on the same page? How were you moving forward? Mm -hmm. What was those conversations like in, in that early time? Yeah, I, I remember um, we thought that we had it under control, which was the greatest mistake of our lives <laughs> because we decided to be more reactive. Um, and there, our kids are still young, but Certainly, I wish we would have had conversations more proactively ahead of time. She and I are on the same page um, in terms of our theology, our, our doctrines, our key beliefs, and the things that we know and believe and trust about God and about His church. And so we took a lot for granted because we were on such equal, maybe, maybe same page on a lot of things because we grew up in the same context with similar friends, similar leaders in our lives. And... Um, that led us in a direction, I think, to be a little more reactive because we assumed too much. We assumed that we had more control than we did because we were so on the same page. But the reality is what I'm learning as we go here is um, assumption leads to not enough communication. And if you're not communicating enough, you, you really don't have much of a chance. <laughs> I mean, that's like such a big part of of parenting, of, of marriage. Um, and so we've had to learn some of that the hard way. And even now with our kids, they're both, all three of our kids are in church and they're, they're involved in community already and they're learning biblical stories and principles. And it's very easy for us to get in this trend or habit of letting, letting spirituality happen rather than planning for it to happen. Um, and that's coming back to that too many assumptions, you know, that, that we're on the same page and that we have, that we have it under control. The truth is, um, spiritual growth doesn't just happen. It has to be planned for. It has to be worked towards, um, you talk about that all the time. I mean, you, you're the guru. So you got to have a plan. You got to execute on the plan if you're going to get somewhere. Um, it's not enough to just waltz into a situation with confidence and expect good results. So, Yeah, many people do that. And in fact, we find that less than 1% of Christians have a written spiritual plan to lead and guide and direct their, their kids in the Lord. And we just kind of go where the circumstance may take us. Some of us feel comfortable that we have it kind of figured out, as you mentioned. And we have it, we think it in here, but, but yet we haven't written it down. And and we know that if you write things down, one, you're going to think about it, but also it gets done. Yeah. Right. I want to talk about um, those times and then move a little bit into when you were married and so forth. The tensions that you face today may be different than generations past. What, what tensions or challenges did you guys see either during the engagement period or shortly after being married and having your first child or what was some what were some of the tensions that you face today with three children growing up in this society with many more challenges in different different areas than maybe mine 
Mm -hmm. uh, what, what tensions and challenges would you say you guys face today? And how are you kind of dealing with some of those tensions and challenges? Yeah, um, I think for us, the biggest challenge is, is prioritizing our time with each other. Um, you know, when you have, when you're young and you have young kids, so much of life just happens to you again, going back to the whole planning process, but you, you're just, you're, it's like you're just treading water. You know, you've got to get through the day and uh, once you get to bedtime and you get all the bedtime stuff done and, and they're in bed, you just want to lay down and, and watch TV or something. But, um, really, uh, really learning the hard way for us that we need considerable time together first me and my wife and then um, secondly to prioritize time with our kids as well um, we that's the tension for sure because I I'm wired um, to build and to grow things and and go uh, I'm a, you know I run hard after projects or vision or whatever is in front of me and I tend to give my time away to whatever's urgent um, rather than protecting it and making sure that my, my wife first has time and enough time and then, and then my kids as well. That, that's certainly been, I would say, the biggest tension for us is, is how do we manage our time well? How do we, how do we plan for, for that? Because the truth is, once again, it leads to assumptions and it leads to reactivity when, when we're not giving each other enough time um, to communicate and we're we're in a we're in a world you know right now where there's so there's there's built-in tension and there's built-in things to be prepared for that comes like a freight train um, you know you wouldn't think your five-year-old would ask you um, you know wh why is you wouldn't think you'd have to have a conversation with your five-year-old about a guy in the middle of the U.S. Capitol with horns on his head you know like it's my five-year-old we're not ready for this yet you know but the fact of the matter is, this is the world we live in. This is what's on TV. This is what's on mom and dad's phone. Um, and so these are the kind of things that you may not be prepared for as a young parent. Um, but that's all the more reason. You may not know what's coming, but that's all the more reason to prioritize time and make sure that you're on the same page with a plan of how you're going to grow as a family. Um, time is a big a big tension for us yeah I know I know how that feels you know I, I just um, uh, my granddaughter came to visit uh, a few weeks ago and <laughs> for Christmas and so forth and we they, they stayed for a few weeks and uh, she's just a ball of energy and and so we had to we had all the kids over and the grandkids as well and and I'm thinking, man, we've done this already. You know, we, we, we're in retirement mode. You know, we're supposed right. to, you know, we're supposed to be in this grandparenting thing, right? Right, 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 right. But it was a lot of fun. You know, we can spoil them and, and do all the stuff we shouldn't do as, as a parent. But we send them back home when we're done. And so it was a lot of fun. Now, I can tell you the house didn't look the same. <laughs> <laughs> it was so the noise, the pitter-patter, the feet, and sure. so forth. Sure. Uh, but one thing you mentioned, I wanted to see if we can go a little deeper on. In the last six months to a year, there's a lot of tensions out there in, mm -hmm. in society. Everything from, you know, protests and injustice and, you know, to march on the Capitol. I mean, just on, 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 on. Uh, church certainly has been challenged uh, with COVID and 
19 and, and so many issues. And you mentioned you have a five-year-old asking questions that a typical five-year-old may not ask, mm -hmm. but yet they're so attentive these days, yep. so wired in to what's happening because of the internet and so many other things and yep. the kind of, you can't miss it. You can't really prepare for some of these conversations. Right. So I'm wondering as young parents, when a young child comes to you with these type of very challenging questions that we didn't have to deal with right. probably to maybe years down the road, how do you deal with that? I mean, <laughs> how do you prepare yourself? Are there some, some ways you approach it? Are there some scripture that you hold on to? How, how do you approach it with a five-year-old, right? Can you have those intelligent conversations or, <laughs> or, or you just kind of fill in space? I mean, how does yeah. it work, you know? Yeah, yeah. this is the moment where I, I want to rewind the show and ask you that question, you know, as the guru, but you're asking me, so here we go. I, I am very, just to be quite honest and transparent, I am terrified um, that I am not going to steward these moments effectively. Um, fi my five-year-old, I only have one, so I don't know, I can't speak for other people's, but my five-year-old is very attentive, very, um, very practical already with the way that she thinks, um, and she's, she's exposed to more things than I can imagine because of technology and because of things that I mean, we don't let her run wild on TV. She doesn't have a smart device or anything, but it it bleeds into our lives because it's right at our fingertips. And they, she sees stuff when I'm not even paying attention. She sees me on my phone reading an article about, you know, and so it's so in our face. We have to be aware. And I, I don't have a prescription. I don't, I certainly don't have experience, but I, what I'm trying to do and what I've what I've found is working is when you come, I think I think I grew up um, wanting to to be a, a teacher type that knew every answer and had the right thing to say. And the older I get, which I'm, I'm not old, but I'm getting older. And the, the more life I live, the more I realize that the best teachers are the most humble learners. And so for me, when I come with that posture, with her and I'm, um, I, I come to her, yes, as a teacher, yes, as a leader, yes, as an influence in her life and trying to lead God and direct her. But I come from a, from a posture of humility and, and learning. We're, we're always learning more of the things of God. We, we know that he is truth and he is unchanging, but our world is changing all around him. The more that I can show her I'm a learner primarily of the things of God. Um, and I, I let my worldview and all these things, good and evil and how it all plays out in our world, fit around him who is unchanging and stable. He is our source of truth and his word is where we find it ultimately. Um, the more I can posture myself as a learner and show that to her, the more that she can hear my wife and I talking about the Bible and the things of God, the more she can, the more we can read stories together, the more we can honestly actively take our eyes off of the news and all the things that are happening and put our eyes on the only source of truth. 
that's the only that's the only um, sanctuary that I can find in my home at times. Um, rather than rather than trying to explain away all of the evil, I'm trying to illuminate more good and more truth. And I'm not looking to philanthropy to find that. I'm looking to the Word of God, the truth of Scripture, and how we have experienced Him in our lives, and um, as best we can be humble learners you know that's so good you know we we just talked we're, we're just kicked off our year uh with, with with the family and um we're we're really latching in and honing in on first chronicles 16 8 and and it's really just saying focus on him mm-hmm. right make him known uh and take his truth to the world and and it's so challenging especially in a time where they're even questioning that truth and you meant you mentioned worldview uh, just had a, a guest on the show, Randy Pope, Pastor Randy Pope, that you'll be familiar with. Mm-hmm. And, and you're a golfer, so I think you'll appreciate his analogy. He says, Terrence, uh, it's really, when you look at a great golfer, there's three things they have to really do well. One, they focus on the grip, the posture, and the alignment. Now, I'm not a big golfer like you. I mean, you, <laughs> you know, you, you miss all of Georgia and everything. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you're Mr. All of Georgia, but... I'm, I'm like, if I can get off the tee uh, and it goes, you know, straight, I, I, it's an accomplishment, right? So best ball is my best game. <laughs> but uh, when I think about Randy, he says it's about the grip. Your view of yourself, this is how he described grip. He says we have to look at the view of ourselves and what we believe. And he says the, the, the posture is really what our belief is about, about God. Mm. And, and, and the alignment is how do we align our worldview with his wow. worldview wow. And, and move our kids in that direction, not just by what we say, obviously, but also how we model it and, and the truth that we share because they're going to be looking at us and what we're saying, but also, more importantly, what we do. Wow. And so I thought that was a great analogy. I thought, great. I thought you would kind of really get excited about that, that being a, a, a golfer. Um, anything like that that you oh. practice or put into place that makes sense? Yeah, no, that's great. I, and I, I think that's what I'm trying to describe when I talk about, you know, reorienting our lives and, and our education for ourselves and our kids as constant learners, reorienting ourselves around the word of God and the truth of who he is and what he's doing. Um, that's a great framework grip posture alignment that makes a great deal of sense i posture matters so much and and i've i've seen it play out in 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 our in our lives in our church in people that i'm that i'm working with or dealing with right now we are so affected our posture is so affected by what we consume and what we hear and what we let through our screen um and that in turn affects our alignment because if if we're constantly being inundated by this information this negativity this disunity this division this whatever it may be um you know the our alignment is going to shift and and one degree or two degrees over time becomes a big problem it may not feel like it in the moment when you're standing over the ball and you're about to hit the shot but 300 yards down the field it's a big problem 
Um, and so it's so important, that reorientation, that getting back to the basics and understanding where truth is. Our world is trying to convince us that there is no truth, that the, tr the only truth you can find is within yourself. Well, what we know is our, our, we have put away our old self, Paul says, and we've put on the new self, which is being transformed into the image of our creator. And that's a supernatural thing that happens that I can't do. I can't choose that on my own. I can't, I can't fashion myself into a new creation. I need someone that's transcendent and far more powerful than I can imagine um, to do that. And so, but that is practically worked out in the habits that we choose. And it starts at the home. And I can, what I've been convicted about lately is I can, I can preach the best sermons. I can have the best small group activities I can I can have all the best strategies the church has ever seen and not pay attention to my home and completely miss it and completely miss the first ministry and the the the, the primary leadership um, position on my life and call on my life um, and it's really easy to prioritize all the things that are around or the platforms that we've been given and uh, I, I'm trying to even reorient my grip and my posture, my alignment, and focus that at home um, with my kids, with my wife, and um, it's a tough time. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I want to I want to bring you to this point of associate pastor and this whole idea, the role of the church in today's society, and bringing up, you know, the responsibility of that as a pastor. Yeah. Um, and, and families are coming to learn truth, to, yeah. to make that truth more simpler or plain. Yeah. Um, what tensions is the church feeling right now uh, as a whole? It's a big question. That's <laughs> a big question. Um, I think the number one tension that I see is um, what's safe? That's the first question, right? Are we are we safe to be together? Are we safe in that environment? Um, we've provided so many opportunities for people to choose the safety of their home, um, and for good reason, because we've seen what we've seen with this virus and the way that it's affected things. It's certainly real, and there's certainly people dying um, from it, and it's tragic. It's important for us to provide options um, for people, but that creates a tension in the church because we know, I know, you know, I, I think we're on the same page in terms of our need for community and the biblical call on our life to not forsake the meeting together. That doesn't mean we have to have 10,000 people to meet together, but we do need each other. The, this unity of the spirit and the bond of peace that, that Paul writes about, that Jesus has purchased for us, we, 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 can't, we can't make disciples of Jesus if we're only at home by ourselves, right? You can't make a disciple by yourself. <laughs> you can't fulfill the Great Commission by yourself. And so this, this creates a, a paradox where, uh, of course, we encourage safety. Of course, we encourage you to uh, make wise decisions for your health and your family's health. Um, but the interesting part of that is the church grows in some of the most unsafe 
times and environments. And I'm certainly not advocating for throwing caution to the wind and going about however you want, but I am trying to find the balance. You talk about tension. I think that's the, the tension that I see is we need to be safe. We need to protect ourselves and our family but we don't need to do that more than we need to accomplish the call that's on our lives, which is to go into all the world and make disciples. So what does that look like? You know, the church has to re-learn uh, maybe in this season what that looks like, and that presents great tension. Um, if, if we've encouraged people to be in the comfort of their own home for months and months and months, well, now we've created patterns uh, that, are, that are now habits and are going to become ways of life that are hardwired. Um, and, you know, we need, to, we need to be careful not to abandon the call that's on our lives as Christians. Well, the environment has certainly changed, hasn't it? Um, 2020 has certainly brought challenges and we've doing church a little different maybe uh, in some places. Obviously, it's, uh, some are still holding services, but many are having also that hybrid situation mm -hmm. where, like you say, you got the teleprompter and it's, it's at home. <laughs> um, and, and we're encouraged, obviously, we want to make our, our home strong and, and, yep. and home-centered but church-supported. But at the same time, uh, how do we deal with this environment? So as we look at the future a little bit, um, what do you see as a pastor? I mean, uh, the, the challenges that we're facing how do, we, how do we deal with this society that's going to go forward? I mean, I think we're still going to deal with this virtual world. Yeah. As you say, people are getting comfortable sitting on the sofas and the nice chairs like we are today. <laughs> and, and they're hearing church, right? They're hearing the pastor and they're worshiping and so forth. But, but it's not the same, is it? And um, what do we do going forward? How do, we, how do we raise our kids, especially in the context of today? Tomorrow, in a world that might look a little different, you mentioned priority earlier, mm -hmm. and they may be saying, maybe I don't need to go on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever, right. and I can just sit in the home and listen to the sermon and do quote-unquote church, but you and I also know it's more than that. Yeah. It's much more than that. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about discipleship, just quickly, we talk about it at Victoria's family as one imparting their life into another's life. Yeah. And so they can also go do the same. Mm -hmm. and, and we do that within a community. And we move out not only in the church but outside the church. We call that maybe mission. But, but think about that discipleship mm -hmm. in a world I call it a COVID-19 world. <laughs> yeah. It's changed, haven't it? Yep, it has. Give me some perspective of what you're seeing, thinking, dreaming of as a pastor yep. in a church that might look different going forward mm -hmm. than we've experienced maybe yep. in, in the past. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that I dream about, you know, I, I was raised, and I think a lot of us, have been um, caught up in this um, reality of, of our world is getting bigger and more accessible and everything's at our fingertips and we want big, 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 bigger, you know. And I, I grew up 
in that environment too, where it was, what was the next mountain to take, right? What was the next hill to climb? Um, and I think we're being called back to what's going to feel like obscurity specifically for the church. You're starting to see this trend of people growing really tired of the bigness of the world and the connectivity that they have and the, the inability to get a break from it or the inability to, you hear people talk about surveillance all the time, right? Big brothers watching and that's a whole nother thing, but it's, we're, we've, we've gotten into this zone now where I think there's a great fatigue when it comes to the digital connectivity that we have around the world and how accessible we are. And it's driving us back to this localized, deeper community, accountable to someone, somebody knows me, you know, I, I, I feel the need to be known now more than ever, even though I'm more accessible than I've ever been, I might be less known than I've ever been because it's all what I present to them online rather than what they can feel and see and sense life on life, imparting life with one another. So I think if we're not there yet, there's going to get to a breaking point where people need, they, they realize their need for that type of life, for that type of community. Um, and it's going to feel like obscurity. And I think we're already sensing it. You know, we've, we've created these big platforms and these big, these big reaches, which of course that's, that's great. We need the truth to go. We need the truth to be presented at a global scale. Um, and we need depth and we need accountability and we need relationship and we need somebody to know when we're in the hospital. We need somebody to know when we had a baby. We need somebody to know when our grandmother died to show up at the funeral. Like we need this depth of relationship and that happens in obscurity. It happens in, in intimate environments where the world's not watching. Um, and so this fascination with global and marketing, like marketing something to go around the world and have success, when it comes to the church, I feel a very deep responsibility as a pastor to be willing to get in the trenches in obscurity and do the intimate life on life with people because I don't think we can succeed with the Great Commission if we're only standing 30 yards away and presenting a megaphone to the world. We, we have to live and walk and eat and drink and breathe with people in order for real transformation to happen. Man, that's so good. Well said, Jared. Well, we're gonna close this session. And I want you to maybe look into one of these cameras out here. <laughs> Um, and I want you to imagine that you're speaking to the family of tomorrow, mm -hmm. uh, parents and children of tomorrow, because we think they're going to live in a different world than we live in today. Well, the decade before, they lived in a different world than mm -hmm. we do t today. Mm -hmm. So change is in in inevitable, but we know that there's one thing, a one person that never changes. Mm -hmm. But if you could give just couple of truths, couple of advice to a young parent coming up, young kids, what would be your words of encouragement in a time that has probably high anxiety, mm -hmm. not enough time, you know, prioritization, how do I do that? 
we call it that value time, not just giving some time, but the value time, quality time. Mm -hmm. What does it look like? What words of encouragement would you give that next young family coming up, faced with many of the things you were challenged with as a young person, but also mm -hmm. even going to the next level? Yeah. I would say in a time where there is a lot of anxiety, number one, seek the voice of truth, learn how to hear the voice of truth, um, learn the daily wealth that is in spending time with your creator who has written to you, quite literally has spoken to you through words on a page from the prophets and the apostles of old and it's survived this point for a reason. Um, don't overcomplicate that um, daily discipline that is such an important part. We have so many voices coming all around us through our phones, through our TVs, through our computers. There's so many voices. We need to know how to hear the only voice that is true, the only voice that pierces through the darkness and exposes it with a light that's unquenchable. And he's given us a whole book full of his words. And so that would be the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is be willing to serve. You can't, you can't carry any weight or any high position ultimately, sustainably, unless you're willing to serve. And for me, that starts at the home. That starts uh, in a lot of ways. It feels obscure to spend more time at home with my kids and with my wife, but that's the greatest calling on my life. And the more that I choose that, the greater the fruit, because we know that in the economy of God, it's about sowing and reaping. And as we sow seeds, good seeds, we will see good seeds reaped. And so I would just encourage us to start at the home. And as you do that, the more you do that, the more fruit you will see. And the more you will see that there is, there is hope for our world. And it starts, it starts in our homes. It starts with our families. And we have to be willing to serve them first. So. Well, Garrett, this, I mean, Jared, this has been a real pleasure. And, you know, this past Sunday, my family met again, uh, going on 20 years of having regular devotional times. And wow. our kids are a little older than, than, than yours. Uh, so we have a conference line uh, mm -hmm. with cell phone. Well, now we're on Zoom. We're upgraded, right? Okay. And, and now we're having our devotional sessions on every other Sunday now from 8 to 9. And last night, uh, or Sunday, this past Sunday, we watched this series around uh, Israel's mission and how are we to be priests in our own homes. And we talked about this word redemption. Mm -hmm. And for many, there's many terms to that, but this redemption that we wanted to talk about is in those years, redemption was really redeeming a lost family member back to the family and making sure that that person is protected by the family, served by the family, fed. So the patriarch of the family had a responsibility, mm. a great responsibility. Abraham had a great responsibility for Lot. And if Lot was to get lost, his job was to go and rescue Lot and bring him back into the family. You know, today, 
our families are facing many challenges. And in some cases, we've forgotten this whole concept of redemption. Wow. And so the way I want to end is I, I want to encourage families, I want to encourage parents to think about this word redemption. Redemption is a powerful word. Not only from Christ we were redeemed or by him we were redeemed, but we also have a challenge as parents to redeem our children back into the family, graft them back in, make them become part of the tree and the branch that we now, they become part of us, they become part of the future. And I say that they, they become this, this image of who you will be in the future without wow. you there. Wow. And so let's redeem our families back, mm. starting with the parents, starting with the father, I want to encourage, but I also want to see a generation that looks different than the one we're accustomed to. It's a generation who know Christ and the love that he represents. Jared, thank you so much for your time. As thank a young you. pastor, I wanted to come and talk to you because you're on the front lines. Mm -hmm. You're raising the next generation for his glory. And so I thank you. I thank you for your humility. I thank you for your words of encouragement, and um, I'm praying for you and the three that he's given you. <laughs> Raise them, be strong, mm -hmm. and train and instruct them in the Lord. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Honored. Honored to be a part.